today on Anchored in the Word. If I really had that confidence to the utmost degree, I wouldn't even be surprised when he answered the prayers. Not that I wouldn't be thankful, but so many times I think, why am I so surprised when God answers prayer? I am surprised by that for some reason. I still, I get excited about it, but it's really like an element of surprise to it somehow. Like, wow, like I didn't, what, you didn't think he was going to answer? Didn't he say that he would answer your prayers? This is Anchored in the Word, the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Coastlands in Eatontown, New Jersey, with our pastor and teacher, Bill Beckelman. When you practice something extensively, you can feel confident when it comes time to perform, but only to a certain extent. There's a limit to what our flesh can really accomplish. Pastor Bill teaches today about Paul's trust in the power of the Lord. No matter what our talents are, we need the empowerment of God to go all the way. At the close of Pastor Bill's message, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Anchored in the Word. Subscribe to the podcast or simply get in touch with us. Now here's Pastor Bill with today's edition of Anchored in the Word. Let me ask you a question. If you had a three-week-old baby or a two-week-old or even a week-old, would you entrust that baby with anybody else? Well, in a sense, Paul did that. By the way, I'd ask you, God's entrusted that baby to you. Think about how he feels. But that's what Paul did. Now, I'm talking about spiritually, because these people in Thessalonica were newborn babes. Remember, he went to the synagogue, and it says in Acts chapter 17 that he preached for three weeks, and after that, he got chased out of town, fled for his life, and a church was planted, and they were no older. The oldest one, if they received the Lord the first week of preaching, they were three weeks old when he left. And he had to entrust those Christians, those baby Christians, to someone else. And here's what I would say to you. You could entrust that one-week-old, that two-week-old, or that three-week-old to someone you really had confidence in. That's the key. What you're really saying is, well, I don't have confidence in them as much as I have confidence in in what I would do or something. You know what I'm getting at? Because if you had that confidence, you would entrust that newborn baby to them if you really had the confidence. And Paul had that. It tells us here in chapter 3, verse 4, look what he says. He says, and we have confidence in the Lord. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Concerning the church there, concerning that young church that Paul had preached and he planted there, he was gone and he left them behind and he was led of the Lord. You know, Paul, it wasn't, he wasn't a coward if he came to the Lord. Many times it, it was just that the Lord told him to leave, even though, because he had more ministry to do apparently, that time in Thessalonica. Other times, Paul got stoned and left for dead. He gets up and goes back into the town to preach some more. So it's not like he was a coward. But in this case, he left town and left a a church that was three weeks old. How in the world did he do that? And this isn't the only, he had ministries all over the place. And and boy, they were different in different places in their walks. You get the church at Corinth, they were carnal. 
doing things in the church that weren't even done in the world. I mean, he had that kind of church. He had the church of Ephesus, different churches that he wrote letters to, and he wasn't able to be in all those places at once. What in the world? How did he not stress out all the time about what was going on in the churches? He had confidence in God. Confidence in God. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. God confidence. Now, the world teaches, and there is somewhat of a, and now we can maybe all identify with in one way or another, we have a confidence in something in the flesh. I remember playing sports. And you could get to a level in sports where you're confident in the way you play. You realize when you step out there, you practice all you can do. And when you do your particular thing, when you shoot the ball, it normally goes in the hoop. I mean, you just, because you've done it so many times, and you can actually relax in that. That's the whole key about performing in sports. You must be relaxed. You have to have that confidence where you can just relax and kind of exhale. Even when things look bad, when you're losing points, you say, well, we can still win this thing. It's because you have a confidence in your abilities or your teammates' abilities. And because you've seen this so many times, you've been down the road, and the more times you're under adversity, in this situation, I'm talking about sport now, you just have a confidence. You can rest in that situation. Because you've been there before and you've seen it. But that really is a confidence in the flesh and man's ability. And so that's just kind of an illustration of it. But that's not what Paul had. He wasn't thinking, well, I'm a church planter. You know, I've been, I know the Old Testament well and, and I've met the Lord now. So I know how to do ministry. I go out there, you, you know, I got the program to plant churches. He didn't have a church planting program, but he had a confidence in the Lord that same Lord that met him on that road that day, he became acquainted with him. And Paul said when he came, he goes, I, you know, I didn't come with eloquence of speech. It wasn't about his speech or his speech writer. He didn't have one. But he says, I came in the power of God. See, his confidence was not in what he could do, his abilities, but it was his confidence that God was with him. And God had given him the goods, the gospel. That was the goods, the good news. And he went there and he just preached the good news. And man, it changed people's lives, those that believed. And he found out some would believe and some wouldn't. That's just the way that it works. But he had that confidence in the Lord. God wants us to have that confidence, not in the flesh, not in a pastor, a man. I'm going to read something to you regarding the Bible, right in the middle of the Bible. Now, there are some 31,000 verses in the Bible. I've never counted them. I'm taking somebody else's word for this. I'm also taking this, somebody else's word for this, directly in the middle of the Bible. It's supposed to be Psalm 118 and verse 8. That's supposed to be the, the very middle of the Bible. So if you want to do the count, if you want to count through 15,000 and sometimes verses, do that. And then the other way after that, somebody, you know, do the math, check the math. But for illustration purposes, let's just say it's right. Look what it says, and it's just so God to put this in the middle of the Bible. Halfway through, this is what it says in Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Whether it be yourself or someone else. That wasn't what Paul's confidence. He didn't have confidence. Oh, I have confidence in the church at Thessalonica. No. He didn't have confidence. What he did was he had confidence that God would be with them. God would finish the work that God had started in that church. Hence, he could leave and take off and go. 
and write them a letter later, knowing and trusting that the Lord was going to finish the work that he started. But as we go through this, we can see some things that Paul, that he was encouraging the believers to do, things that Paul were involved in, something that could increase his confidence. I want to read you the definition, by the way, just from the 1828 dictionary. Webster's, Noah Webster wrote this. A trusting, this is confidence, a trusting or reliance, an assurance of mind or firm belief in the integrity, stability, or veracity of another, or in the truth and reality of a fact. A trusting or reliance and assurance of mind or firm belief in the integrity, stability, or veracity of another. Specifically this morning we're talking about placing your confidence in God, the God of the universe. And as we look at this, these five verses, we're going to see some keys in here to how your confidence in God can increase. And God wants that. We're living in tough times. They may get tougher. And an opportunity to be afraid. Like Chicken Little, the sky's falling, the sky's falling, you know. And God says, no, the things are happening that I told you are going to happen. Don't be afraid. So let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writing to that church in Thessalonica. He left them after three weeks. It had been some time since that time, but he says, finally, brethren, he's getting to the part of the letter where he's wrapping it up and he's going to tell them, now kind of reiterate or just kind of summarize the things that are important. When you get to the end of this thing, these are the things that I want you to remember. Finally, brethren, pray. That's what he says. Finally, brethren, pray. Listen. There's nothing that will build your confidence in God like prayer. And I don't just mean when you pray something and God answers, right? That We've all had those maybe happen. Hopefully you have. You've prayed a prayer and God's answered and you're like, wow, you're, so, you're like excited and happy. Can you believe you want to share with everybody? Like, but think about this for a moment. If I really had that confidence to the utmost degree, I wouldn't even be surprised when he answered the prayers. Not that I wouldn't be thankful. But so many times I think, why am I so surprised when God answers prayer? I am surprised by that for some reason. I still, I get excited about it, but it's really like an element of surprise to it somehow. Like, wow, like I didn't, what, you didn't think he was going to answer? Didn't he say that he would answer your prayers? But here's what happens in this idea of prayer. We can observe that Jesus prayed all the time. We know that his disciples, out of all the things they saw him do, they said, teach us to pray. And we see the Apostle Paul when he writes his letters, I don't cease to pray for you, he said. Over and over he talks about prayer. And now he's going to say, finally remember this, pray. Now, what happens during prayer? It's the wrong picture of prayer. If you think that you're saying these words and you're kind of moving God, you're moving God and he's up there and he's waiting to hear from you. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll, okay, today, I'm, like he's a genie, kind of, you know, the old story of the genie. You rub the bottle there and the genie comes out and asks three wishes and what would you like me to do, right? You know, that's not God. That's not what that is. Prayer is a way, elementary, it is talking to God and hearing from God or being in communion with God. And keeping an open line with him. Now, what happens first and foremost in that process 
is that the prayer gets changed. The person that's in communion with God. God doesn't change, by the way, right? We know that about him. He changes not. So my prayers aren't going to change God. But my prayers will change me because I'm in communion with the God of the universe. So that's the first thing really that happens through prayer. And by the way, you need to be changed. So do I. We, we're afraid of things. We, we're fearful. There's a lot of things. Fear is the absence of faith. And it looks like worry. And we get all upset. We get high strung. There's no relaxing there, right? It's not a place of relaxing because I don't have that confidence in the Lord. But prayer is one way to get that. Not just when God answers prayer. He's changing hearts and the heart he's changing is yours. Even when we pray for other people, he's changing. He says, pray for your enemies. You know, your enemies may never change. They may be your enemies for all time. But here's what will happen as you pray. Your heart changes towards your enemies. We're called to love our enemies. What? That's radical. Jesus taught radical things. How is that possible? He says, pray for them. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Your heart will get changed. Your enemies may never change. But he'll give you God's heart or his heart will be imparted to you. So confidence, God confidence, comes through prayer. Trusting in him. Yes, the fact that he listens and hears us and then shows us, first of all, the change in my life, the change in your life as we pray, and then he answers prayer. That increases my confidence in him. He's never been wrong. Now, we don't always pray right. And it's a good thing that every prayer we prayed wasn't answered the way that we prayed it. Right? That's true. And some would say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Yes, he did. He just didn't say yes to what you wanted. He did answer, though. But prayer connects us with the Lord. Now, he says this. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. That shows you right there that Paul was not thinking that he had this whole thing figured out. You know, he planted all these churches. He was the great apostle Paul, you know, and, and God was using him in a mighty way. Those things are true. But he wasn't trusting in himself. But he did trust in God. And that was what gave him the powerful ministry that he had. He trusted in the Lord. He really did. He was entrusted in himself, his life to the Lord, everything. He was all in, Paul was. You know what I mean? He was all in. No turning back. And he said, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. But he realized, I need people to be praying for us. And the us he's talking about, by the way, are found in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Pray for us. We're in the ministry, man. We need your prayers. We need your prayers. You know, the things that we're involved in. By the way, all the church is in the ministry. Do you realize that we are involved as a group? Don't look just to the leadership in the church. We're all involved as a group that there's a place called heaven and a place called hell. And, and as life goes on, people are heading to one of those two places in eternity. And God, is in, he's empowered us. He has employed us, entrusted us in this process to have a, a say in or a place in this idea of presenting the gospel to keep people from perishing. I mean, it's one thing to be a lifeguard on the beach. I, I can't imagine, you know, that responsibility. You know, you could, somebody could lose their physical life if the lifeguard was not paying attention, right? Serious matter. But we're involved in something even more serious than that. We're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about eternity. Think about that for a second in those thoughts, in that way. Wow. 
kind of opens your eyes. We need to have confidence in God, not in our own abilities, but confidence in God. Through prayer comes confidence in God, not the confidence of man. Now, the second thing that he's going to mention, he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. There it is. That's what Paul saw. That's what he experienced when he went to Thessalonica. What did he do? He went to the synagogue and he preached Jesus. He was just basically telling him about Jesus as the Messiah, what he did for in my life and what he wants to do in your life. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the Messiah. That's what he was teaching. That's what he was preaching. And it was the word of God. And he saw it swiftly transform these people's lives. That's my testimony. That's Santos' testimony. It wasn't Calvary Rants that transformed his life. It wasn't a program that transformed his life. It was Jesus Christ, his word. The power of his word transforms lives. Paul saw that in his own life, and he realized when he preached it, man, he saw the word of God. And, he, and by the way, even though he left, the word of God stayed there and continued to do its work. Powerful. The word of God is called in the Bible a seed. Planting seeds, right? Planting seeds. I've been looking at this movie about Back to Eden movie. Check it out, by the way, if you get a chance. It's awesome. This idea of soil and the idea of planting a seed. Think of it this way for a moment. This idea of having confidence in God. The farmer, the gardener, has a bit of confidence in somebody. Maybe it's the ground, but it's misplaced because God made the ground. He made man from the ground, and he made the seed. And you take the seed and you stick it in there, and miraculous things happen. You know, it's below the ground, this whole thing of the seed. You could study seeds for, for all time, and it's unbelievable. It's a miracle, the thing, this seed. It comes up, this plant comes from that seed. And as it continues to grow, and the things in the soil, the, just the right moistness, and even the darkness, and even probably the heat to a degree, cause this whole thing, it just planted in that right environment, and, and out pops this thing. And unbelievable, we can actually eat it, and nourishes our bodies, some of the things that come from these seeds. But everything that's happening, you put the seed under the ground, you can't see it, it's underground. You, you gotta trust in someone else to make that whole thing happen. You know, yeah, the farmer, can he can fertilize, he can prep the ground, he can, I don't know, whatever you do else to try and do the best thing you can, but then there comes a time when you got to take that seed and you just got to put it in the ground and leave it be and trust. And by the way, seeds do pretty well. God made them that way, and, and he's, I believe he's going to handle that whole process. But that's what God's teaching us to do with our own lives, with our kids, with whoever else, the things that are going on in our lives. It's like, Okay, you plant a seed and you let God do what God's got to do. Let God be God. And the Word of God is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. This is what the Bible says. This is how Paul, and he knew this verse, Isaiah 55, 11, regarding the Word of God. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, God speaking. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, God's word is powerful, man. It's like a seed. You just got to plant it and watch what God does with it. Some have said that the word of God is like a, is like a lion or a tiger. You don't have to defend it. You just got to open the cage and let it out. It's powerful. But do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Does the word of God have the power to transform a life? Hopefully that's your testimony. 
I remember years back, I was called, my first Bible study I ever taught was in a place called Sunrise Assisted Living in California. I had a friend whose mother was in there. She had Alzheimer's. And she was in the Alzheimer's wing, the lockdown. Where, you know, they had to lock the place for the people's protection. And I just felt, you know, that I was called to go there. And um, so I go there and, and, you know, I go there. And I really didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest with you. And I, I walked in the door and the first thing I saw was this lady walking down the thing with a tie around her neck. She had a man's tie and she was kind of walking down and just kind of talking and couldn't understand a word she said. She ended up being at the Bible study, you know, as time went by. But this is the scripture that God gave me. It's like, my word will not return void. All these people had dementia that I was preaching to and Alzheimer's. And I'm thinking, I'm holding on to this promise. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to just preach the word of God. It had to be short, you know, 10 minutes at the most, okay? But these, you know, we go in there and they'd all be sitting in the living room watching the big God, I called it. It was this huge TV with it in a cabinet. And they'd all be sitting there just after dinner watching the big God and I'd walk in with, and I had the piano in one hand and the amplifier in the other come in and we just shut the God off. Boom. And they're like captive audience in there. You're like, you know, and, and then, you know, so we sang a few hymns and we, we preached the word. The first week I was there, you know, I'm thinking, well, I, I just, I just heard Moody, I, something that Moody wrote about every time you preach, you got to give the gospel out. You know, it's this whole story. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I got to make sure I, no matter what, when I'm preaching where I'm going to give them the chance to receive Jesus. So the first week I go there, I'm preaching out of Matthew, starting at the beginning, went through Matthew. And I gave out the gospel after my 10-minute sermon, if it was that long. And then I said, now, if you want to receive Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And I'm going to lead him in the sinner's prayer, right? And I, I, had the, I already had this worked out with the, the person that was playing piano. I said, now, I'm going to say the prayer. I want you to, to say it afterwards. I know you're already saved, but just say it so that people can know what to do. So I did that. I don't know how many people were in the room. I don't know, 10 or 15 Almost every person in that room that day prayed the sinner's prayer. And so I'm like, oh, great. They've got to mention next week it's going to be the same. Every week it's going to be the same thing, right? They're going to, no, serious, I'm thinking that way, right? Leaning on my own understanding, you know? Thinking that way, that, you know, it's going to be the same way. But I'm going, you know, I just said the thing about Moody, I'm going to do it again. So I gave it again. Nobody prayed the second week I went. You know, so I learned some valuable lessons in that place. And one is the word of God is powerful. And I do believe that no matter what condition someone's in on the outside, the spirit of the person is still there. Why would they God allow them to be here? The gospel is powerful. It goes through, you know, just somebody that seemingly doesn't have their faculties. The word of God is spiritual. Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Anchored in the Word with Pastor Bill Beckelman of Calvary Chapel Coastlands. Don't forget to join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you've missed part of this message and would like to catch up or you'd like to hear it again, this message has been archived at our website at anchoredintheword.com. That's anchoredintheword.com. And if you'd like to continue studying with Pastor Bill as he teaches through the Bible at Calvary Chapel Coastlands, we have the entire library of his messages posted for listening and download. Visit our website at anchoredintheword.com and connect with Calvary Chapel Coastlands for our online media library. We would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, please contact us. 
Our phone number is 732-544-2225. That's 732-544-2225. If you prefer to write, our address is 178 Main Street, Eatontown, New Jersey, 07724. Or email us at info at anchoredintheword.com. If you're in the Eatontown, New Jersey area and would like to visit us, we would love to meet you. Calvary Chapel Coast Lands is located at 178 Main Street, Highway 35 in Eatontown, New Jersey. Anchored in the Word is the radio ministry of Pastor Bill Beckelman of Calvary Chapel Coast Lands. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study through the book of 2 Thessalonians. It's our prayer that you would be moored in sound doctrine and anchored in the Word.